Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. On today's podcast, a reflection on the universal call to holiness. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, guides us in our prayer to see that it is God's will for us to become saints. Reflecting on the example of the saints and the Catholic Church's tradition of canonizing saints, he points out the importance of recognizing our own call to holiness and sainthood. Lastly, we learn how genuine holiness overflows to fill the hearts and souls of others with its superabundance. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. Our conversation with our Lord strikes at the heart of the Gospel, which is his will for us, spelled out in the earliest writing of the New Testament, his letter to the Thessalonians, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. The specific topic in the heels of the anniversary of the founding of Opus Dei, October 2nd, and the anniversary of the actual canonization of the founder of Opus Dei, who is now St. Jose Maria, the topic is the meaning of this canonization. It's intimately linked with God's will that we be saints. Now let's look at this. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us constantly, albeit through whispers. He speaks especially clearly when a follower of Christ is recognized officially by the Catholic Church to be a saint. And we can't think in merely natural terms or human terms. It's not, well, certain people in the church, like in the sports arena, make it to the all-star status or to the Hall of Fame. This is our version of the Hall of Famers those men and women who have been recognized as spiritual all-stars. It's kind of a that-a-boy that the Catholic Church gives to an individual who has been stellar in living the gospel. It's way beyond that. There are many saints who have the capacity to be canonized but the church can't canonize everything, everyone because that's all the church would be involved with, canonizations. And canonizations also cost a little bit of money. So it can't be overdone either. And the Holy Spirit drives that. The Holy Spirit's behind it because you need miracles that have no scientific explanation. So there's a big elaborate, detailed process. What does that 
event telling us? Why do certain individuals get this recognition? They'll be recognized until the end of time. You'll, oh, you'll be in that liturgical booklet which determines what mass you say each day called the Ordo, and the saints will always be in there. And you really luck out if you become a saint in the second century because you know that's millennia of being in that little book called the Ordo. Just to give it a bit of contrast and perspective, Thomas More, who lived in the middle of the 16th century, didn't get canonized until 400 years later, if I'm not mistaken, by Paul VI in the early 70s. Now, why would the Holy Spirit wait so long? Was the Holy Spirit not completely sure? Or in the 70s, was were things so bad in the church that you needed somebody? So they offered his name to be canonized. Why the church waits so long? Why did St. Jose Maria get canonized in a relatively short time? He dies in 1975, he's, he's beatified, I think, in 91, and he's canonized in 2002. Then his successor is also beatified in a short amount of time. Did Thomas More just make it by the skin of his teeth? Or have things loosened up 400 years later? Or have, has the Holy Spirit's standards diminished? Is that why he was canonized such after 400 years? Who would be canonized within those 400 years that Thomas More had to wait? Many founders of religious orders and martyrs who embraced the religious life, a few popes, a few bishops, a few priests. But virtually no married people. I'm not saying absolutely not, but virtually not. And they wouldn't be topped here. That's because the timing would be right when Thomas More would be canonized, because the church, in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, had a chance to drive home that a lawyer, a married man with children, Though he lived poverty and ate dinners with homeless people, monetarily rich, now is a role model for the entire church. What is, it's a fact, not a mystery. In the 17th century, in the 18th century, and maybe even the early part of the 19th century, this whole idea of sanctification of work 
was not on the forefront of people's minds. Or the value of the ordinary as a medium to imitate Jesus was not developed yet. And with the deliberations of the Second Vatican Council, now we get it, and the Pope and the, and the Church says, and here's a model. A lawyer, chancellor, a writer, and a martyr. And he dies for his faith. Because in his, amid his work, he witnesses the truth of the church, the truth of the gospel. And the value and sanctity and sacredness of matrimony. We ask that question in prayer. We may know the academic answer, but we ask that question in prayer. Why did Jose Maria Scrivá get canonized? Obviously, the, he's a saint, that's why. But again, it's much more than a pat on the back and an ecclesiastical vatiboy. It is because of the urgency to live the message he received on October 2nd, 1928. A message he received with a dramatic emergence, hasn't ended yet, of a culture of death. Regimes predicated on a hatred of God. 1928. On the heels of the Great War, and in 1917, October 13th marks, I think, the last apparition in Fatima, where the Blessed Virgin Mary says, the reason for that is because my son, who is the life, is absent. Isn't that what the sin is? It's a disbelief in Christ. It's an absence of Christ. And in the former Soviet Union, that whole regime was predicated on not only an absence, but an actual hatred of Christ. And other regimes, too, during that time. And in those very early years of the history of Opus Dei, St. Josemaria is prompted to write in the way as he faces this culture of death, I'll tell you a secret, an open secret. These world crises are crises of saints. God wants a handful of men of his own in every human activity. Then the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. The Holy Spirit has an agenda. He wants to pull many, many people to Christ. The Holy Spirit has an agenda. 
There's only one way to create a civilization of love juxtaposed to a culture of death, and that is through saints. What did, just to give a raw summary of this illumination, Jose Maria Scrivá received on October 2nd, 1928, I, the Lord is saying, I need saints. This is the response. This is the solution. And we're grateful to God. It didn't have to be that way, but we're grateful to God that he actually led the charge. He lived what he received. And his canonization served as a symbol, sacramental, of the power of holiness. We're, we're not into statistics. Statistics don't determine how holy you are. You could have zero statistics and be a great saint, like a, you know, a Saint Therese. She'll get statistics after she's gone, but during her lifetime she had no statistics. But Rome was crowded. I was there. And there was a half a million people there, stretching to the shores of the Tiber. The roofs of all the buildings were packed with people. And more than, wow, what a triumph here. No, that's not, what, that's not the agenda of the Holy Spirit. To put it in American terminology, the system works. Holiness is the way to go. It works. It is more powerful than sin. The life of Christ is more powerful than the wages of sin, that is death. And he received a mandate in this illumination transmit the message that you're called to be a saint, a canonizable saint. Today's gospel there's more than what meets the eye. And today's gospel states, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. But no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. This is not a throwaway phrase that we all know. Nothing's a throwaway phrase in the gospel. But our Lord is saying, yeah, this, this is an evil generation. This is the pagan world. And this, the same phrase could be articulated. And this, the only valid sign is the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? It's an image of Christ crucified. It's an image of Christ. The sign we need to give is an image of Christ. 
what is a saint. A non-saint does not carry that full image of Christ in a way no one does. But a saint is someone, man or woman, who has allowed the Holy Spirit to transform him or her to such an extent that they are Christ. We're inserted into his mystical body at baptism and through deeds of love, the Holy Spirit can prompt us to say with St. Paul, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The founder of Opus Dei's successor, now blessed Alvaro del Portillo, I would say had the opposite personality of St. Maria. I think St. Maria was temperamentally very passionate. He knew how to laugh. He knew to get, how, how to get indignant. He looked, he, he would become saddened. He had a good sense of humor. He had sound bites. Prolific writer. Blessed Alvar was more of a background engineer type. But again, very similar experience at his beatification. Again, it's not about this supernatural trophy he received as much as an endorsement of this letter. And I said, more than an endorsement, yeah, listen, uh, God is on St. Jose Maria's side. It's, this is urgent. This message is not arbitrary. This is what needs to meet these world crises. I'm not going to get into politics, which means I'm going to get into politics. Uh, and lots of good people are very agitated. And that's, I'd say that's a virtue too, because part of following our Lord is to love our country and be patriotic, patriotic, and want to see good leadership. But like our first brothers and sisters in the faith, yes, we pray for our political leaders and that whoever leads rule, governs in the light of natural law. Maybe you're saying you're asking for the impossible. What's Nothing's impossible with God. But with that being said, it seems like the attitude of those very first ones we always have to go back to them because, number one, it was the age of the laity. That was the first age of the church, the age of the laity. Now it's being repeated again. And their attitude was, it'd be really nice 
to have a leadership that would at least not militate against the gospel and against the natural law. They didn't have that luxury for three centuries. But their attitude was, okay, whatever. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to evangelize. It doesn't matter from a certain perspective. I mean, it's, it's wishful thinking to think that, you know, a little bit of evangelization is going to happen by having the right leadership. And when I, when I see what's going on, again, that's uh, an added endorsement of the power of holiness. That's where I need to step up. What can be a good goal? I have to ask myself that question that makes me squirm. Am I known imperfectly by the love I have for my spouse, in your case, your spouse and your children and your colleagues? And let's not give ourselves a pass. That's why piety is so important, because piety fuels us in order to be able to love with that heart of Christ. That's the message of St. Jose Maria, that I need to be Christ in the middle of the world. I'm always giving an experience, especially of that joy of our Lord. Do I do that? And it's not wishful thinking. We've got to take advantage of them. When we come here to Northridge, we can't help but think of that former headmaster, very much his own man. But I was very impressed at the wake and at the funeral, at the burial. I didn't prompt anybody to say anything. But all sorts of parents and graduates from this school were saying the same thing. How much he loved my son, how much he loved me. That's the bottom line how much he helped me stay on the straight and narrow. All sorts of different witnesses. Some people who had not practiced their faith were there. All sorts of people, great majority Northridge types, but other types too, like women covered with, not too many, but tattooed in, in tears. He would have apostolic conversations anywhere, over lunch, over dinner, in the, in the pub next door to the center, and I guess that's where the tattooed people came in. 
What was behind it? Well, knew him pretty well, so I was able to, you know, he didn't want to see people. And you say, wow, I thought he was a holy man. Well, he was, but he got too emotional. Didn't want to say goodbye. I didn't know when my last time was, but I'd say, Jerry, I'll see you later. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. But his, I guess his short-term memory was affected by the illness. I experienced it myself. Uh, illness one, ten years ago, now illness two that took his life. But illness one and illness two are very similar. Because after we exchanged pleasantries, Jerry's style, he said, can you help me do the prayer? Can you accompany me for my meditation? And um, I would. But I thought it was kind of odd because usually you do your morning meditation early in the morning. That's what he, when he would do it. Maybe not that early, but early, earlier, because it was around quarter of 12. And then some of the guys there were telling me, well, you, we're going to write this thing down because he may do this three or four times. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful obsession, but he was upset about spending time in prayer. And I remember illness one, he fell asleep. You know, he had just been operated on. And he said, I fell asleep, let's do it again. All right, I did it, sort of did it again. And then in the middle, he said, well, we got to go back for 15 minutes because I was sleeping for 15 minutes. And then my patience ran thin. And I said, that's it, my friend. Uh, and then, you know, like maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I hope it was. I said, well, don't forget what St. Maria said, Jerry, that sleep could count as prayer as well. That allayed his concerns. So I, I played that card kind of often. <laughs> so what's our takeaway here? My schedule of dealing with our Lord with the idea of making it robust, frequent Eucharist, not just to pile on devotions for devotion's sake, so that I could be that sign of Jonah. So that I can have that, my personality, that joy of Christ. So that I could be Christ at home. I could be Christ at work. It does not work without prayer. It does not work without the Eucharist. It does not work without the rosary. So if we notice, well, I don't know if that's happening. Well, look at that. You, you, you just not, we're not getting refueled enough. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And that's preceded by that powerful phrase, abide in my love. Well, with the help of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we could finish up our meditation reading this 
point from Forge and asking Mary to ingrain this idea in my heart. Whenever sanctity is genuine, it overflows from its vessel to fill other hearts, other souls, with its superabundance. We, the children of God, sanctify ourselves by sanctifying others. Is Christianity spreading to those around you? Consider this every day. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.